Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible uh, now, and we're going to continue in our series uh, of the Lord's Prayer. Today we are up to the line, give us our daily bread, and uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles there, have them open. Uh, If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25 through to the end of that section to 34. This is what it says. Therefore, I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me pray, and we'll uh, pray that God will open our hearts to his word now. Dear Father God, just thank you for allowing us to draw near to you now, to understand your plan for us and our lives, and that we might be able to understand it this morning. So we pray your spirit will speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We all love a good giveaway when there's prizes around everywhere. And the queen of giveaway was Oprah Winfrey some years ago. Oprah Winfrey ran a TV show, a daytime TV show, uh, audience of 300 people, and she just loved giving stuff away. Uh, there was lots of trips given away. Sometimes it was across America, Disneyland. She even took a whole audience to Australia at one point. Uh, there was a time when she just pulled up a bunch of students and said, I want to help you with your studies. Here's 10 grand each. Oh, you've got a good teacher. I'll give them 10 grand each as well. 10 grand to everyone. There was also the time when she had a baby shower for over 640 couples, expecting couples, where she said, I will give you everything you will need for your child. And knowing her, it was top brand stuff. And then there was the time where she pulled up a hard-working nanny who got little recognition in life and said, look, I want to shower you with gifts. Here's money, here's a car to a, a, a nanny. There was the time where she gave a new car away to a guy who was just being encouraging to another guy. Here, have another car. She also ran a competition, who's the romantic man that we can find? Here, have a car. And then there was the other time when she gave the whole audience, nearly 300 people, all a brand new car. Over $7 million just given away in one day. Just like that. It's like, wow, if you want something, she's the lady to go to. She's got the gifts and we love that sort of stuff. Can you imagine going to that show? What your thoughts would be? What your expectations would be? 
actually, I wouldn't mind a bit of a holiday. I'm going to see Oprah Winfrey show. I might just pack my bag in anticipation because it's like, here's your prize, let's go. I wouldn't mind a new car. That'd be all right. I might start cleaning out the garage now because I might be driving at home. This will be cool. And you rock up to the show. And for like most people who go to the show, you get a prize and it's a candle or it's a face cream or it's a, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, what do I want with a candle? A candle's the worst gift ever. It's like if you look for sort of a gift and you're desperate, get them a candle. But it's, what is it with a candle? Because we've got electricity. We don't need the light and stuff now. We don't need candles anymore. So you walk home from the Oprah show with your candle in your hand. And you open the garage door. And what am I going to do with the candle? I'll put in my now cleared out garage <laughs> or beside my bag that I packed for my trip but I've got a candle and there's something inside of you you would have to think oh come on you could have done better than that I was expecting all this stuff I was expecting uh, all this stuff that I need and Oprah Winfrey she's worth 2.8 billion dollars and I need a car you could have done better than that Oprah I'm a bit disappointed actually walk away a little bit like a candle what I've got to confess to you that sometimes praying the Lord's Prayer, and we get to the bit that we're talking about today where it says, give us today our daily bread, it's a bit like getting a candle, isn't it? We think God's a little bit like Oprah. We've already prayed in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uh, taught them how to pray, our Father who is in heaven, we're a Father God in heaven, holy is his name, he's perfect, he's good, your kingdom come, your will be done. He controls everything, owns everything. Nothing happens without him knowing. Now, give us our daily bread. Now, if we had the opportunity to have God, we've got to notice, like, Ms. McConnell's coming. No, no, we've got God coming, literally. God's going to come, he's going to sit up the front, our Father God, and he's going to go, I want you to all line up and tell me what you need. Tell me what you want, just ask me. Can you imagine all of us lining up? What would you pray for? What do you need in life? What are your worries? What are you anxious about? What could God come to the party with to help you out in life? What would you ask for? And as you line up and you come up, you can imagine the discussion with the people around you. What are you going to ask for? Oh, I'm thinking of, I've got this going on in my life. I'm worried about this. I'm anxious about this. I need some help with this. You know, what are you going to ask? You get to the front and Jesus says, oh, before you go to the Father, this is what you need to ask for. Your daily bread. It's that candle moment. I want a car, not a candle. I'm all good for bread. I like all kinds of bread. But it's a bit of that Oprah Winfrey moment of just, come on, God, I thought I've got all these other needs. I've got all these other worries, all these other things that I'm anxious about. Surely, this bread, daily bread, you could do better than that. You can get a bit disappointed. Now, of course, God is not, Jesus is not talking about just literal bread, but he is referring to a moment where we should, uh, if we know our Old Testament, you go, oh, hang on a minute, there was that Moses leading Israel in the desert, and when they were in the desert, um, they had no food, no water, and there's all these Israelites. They just accept, escaped slavery. God led them out of slavery from Egypt, and they come into the desert and with no food, and God gives them their daily bread, this manna from heaven. 
And God says, look, I want you to trust me. It's not, here's your, your bread for the week. No, no, every day I'm going to give you your daily amount of bread, what you need. So when we think of Jesus saying, give us our daily bread, it's, it's what we need for the day. It's like the minimum. It's, you can feel a bit like the candle. It's not the big stuff. What is going on with that? So should we just... Uh, think that this is about basic food but my worries aren't just basic food how's it going to give me what i need all the things going on in my life or should we just lower lower our expectations that we are talking about candles and not cars and just be happy with that there's a whole lot going on on this line and jesus just doesn't leave us hanging what does this mean because he actually talks about what he means a little bit later on in the same chapter just a handful of verses later uh, because this is a part of a bigger story the sermon on the mount where jesus has got a whole group of people and he's preaching to them on a mountain so that's a sermon on the mount and he's talking a lot about uh different uh way god's kingdom is in conflict with the kingdom that we live in now and he talks about our worries and our anxieties and he identifies three he pulls out three <clears throat> uh, poverty value and failure and we'll just work through them one at a time but he tells the story uh, talking about poverty because that's what we fear when we have nothing and he talks about the birds of the air and you can imagine them they're outside looking in the fields and you've got the birds flying around there's hundreds of birds if not thousands of birds flying around look at them do you notice who looks after them? <clears throat> they don't go around planting their seed and plowing the ground and um, watering and managing their crops. No, no, God feeds them. They're busy. Birds are always busy doing stuff. They don't just sit on the branch and just let God, you know, like chicks do. Chicks, when uh, the mother comes or the father bird comes and feeds them. No, no, they, they grow out of that. They're busy. They're working. They're just picking up the seed off the ground or the honey out of the flowers. But God provides for them. And Jesus is going, are you not worth more than the birds? If God cares enough about the birds, I mean, hundreds of them, thousands of them, who would care if one or two just kind of, you know, God does, cares for the birds. How much more is he going to care about you? And what about the fields? They're outside, they're looking around and going, oh, look at all the, the beautiful colours and the flowers. And it's like, how good is being outside when you see all that stuff there's a little snippet of that in our church if you go out the back for morning tea the if, have you seen the morning tea grass uh, where we have morning tea the grass out there is amazing we haven't had rain for a long time so dry everything's really dead looking that is the greenest grass i'm going to say in brisbane if not queensland i'll let you in a little secret i love my grass and i i love the grass on the ground and i I went out there a little while ago. I am from Lismore, so I just need to clarify that. I put fertiliser to, to break up the clay soil. I put more fertiliser to help the water soak in. I put more fertiliser to green the grass. Three lots of fertiliser, then watered and watered and watered. It's growing back and the yard team are mowing it, making it look all good. It's the greenest grass ever. I'm inviting you over morning tea to go and roll on the grass. It's so nice. It's lush, it's soft and it's so green. And that's what I do when no one's around, go and roll on the grass because it feels good. It's like, wow. But I'm telling you, it wouldn't have happened because I did it. 
I made it happen. But what about out in the country? The city grass, it gets lots of love and attention. In the country, who looks after that? You out in the country, hardly anybody sees it. And you get all these wildflowers out, beautiful colours, amazing um, uh, smells as well. Uh, it just happens. The plants don't do any work. They don't dig up their own soil and prepare themselves. God looks after them. If God looks after the flowers like that, how much more is he going to look after you? Jesus even says the flowers don't even compare with the splendor of Solomon. I don't know whether you thought about Solomon with his fashion sense and how good he might be looking. But Jesus says Solomon was dressed in splendor. It kind of makes sense, right? Solomon's an Old Testament guy, had lots of money, had over a thousand wives and girlfriends. Do you think he could get away with dressing sloppy? Like he must have been a good dresser. Sometimes think, how did he leave the house in the morning? When, you know, kiss all his wives goodbye, see you, honey, I'm off to work. And they're going, and you're wearing that? You're lo- looking like that? You can do better than a thousand wives. Like, he's got to be a sharp dresser. But he says, Jesus says, you know, he doesn't even compare with the fields that nobody compares. Uh, no, he doesn't compare to. Yet, It goes, a a flower comes out for a day or two, maybe for a week, and it burns off and dies. Maybe nobody will ever see it. But yet God cares. God looked after it so much. How much more will he look after you? It's like this idea of poverty is like, God, don't be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Now, it's interesting that when Jesus talks about our worries and anxiety, he talks about poverty and people worry about what they're going to eat or drink. And I've got to be honest with you, I think for most of us sitting here today, when we worry about food and drink, uh, food and clothing, I th- what are we going to have for lunch? The question's not a worry of like, oh, the cupboard's bare, we've got nothing. So what are we having for lunch? We can have this, and it, it, we've got four choices. We've got, we got six. We've got so much choice. That's what we're worried about. What do we worry about with our clothes? It's not, I've got no clothes to wear. It's what's going to fit me. What's going to make me look good? That's what I worry about. I've got a cupboard full of clothes. They're different sort of worries. It's not the poverty that Jesus is talking about. But we're here in Eight Mile Plains, and within 10 minutes of this church... We have suburbs that have uh, super high employment, high-paying jobs, expensive, million-dollar-plus houses. But we also have, within 10 minutes of the church, um, commission home areas, government housing areas, high unemployment, lots of economic issues. So if this is a real struggle for you, just ask for help. If you literally have trouble getting food, if you literally have trouble having clothes, Talk to anybody around you. We want to help. I say we want to help because we're a church family. We love each other. If it's important to God that people have food and clothing, it's important to us that we do it. But it's interesting that he does point this out because for us, most of us might not be a big issue, but actually something we might feel uncomfortable about is with our sort of reformed evangelical heritage is Sometimes we lean way over towards God cares about me spiritually and we act, react against the physical stuff, the need stuff, the, the material stuff, 
God doesn't care about that. He just cares about my heart and that it's doing well. But actually what Jesus is saying here, no, no, actually the material stuff does matter to God. He cares enough about the birds and the plants. Of course he wants to know that if you're worried about that, of course God's going to help you in that space. So this, this, this part of the Sermon on the Mount is going, look, if you're worried or anxious, just know that, you are, that God's there for you even more than creation, even more than the birds, even more than the plants. God's looking out for you. Jesus then goes to address another issue, and this is our value, because we worry about being worth nothing. And when he talks about the birds of the air, it's funny that he points this out, are you much more valuable than they? Not just, hey, God, looks after birds, he'll look after you. But no, no, you're more valuable. It's not like Jesus going, hey, I've got a bird on this side and, yep, God's happy to look after them and he's got you on the other side. Is he going to look after you? Guess what? You win. No, no, no. It's not that close like a set of scales. It's like you are so much more valuable than creation, so much more valuable than birds and the, the plants. God says you are valuable. Now, this this, go, this takes this passage to another level because we need to step into what Jesus' hearers were thinking. And because it's very similar to us, but let's go back to the first century when Jesus was preaching this just for a minute. It's Roman Empire. And Roman society is very structured and you've got to know your place. How do you know your place? By what you wear and in a sense what you eat. Here's an example. Here's a few pictures uh, taken way back in the first century. Models, they had coloured photos back then. But here, let me tell you who they are. See who, if you can pick them out. So there's the elite and rich people, and they're also distinguished by the different colours they've got. There's a religious person. There's a slave or poor person. There's a peasant farmer, which was a lot of the community. And there was a government official. Do you reckon you've worked out which one's which. I don't Price of elimination, you get it. But you see, they all dress very differently. And what you can't do there is you can't take somebody else's dress code. This is your status in society. This is where you fit in society. And you know where you fit in society from the banquets that they have, because food was a very important part of their culture, that socialising that way. If you were to have a banquet, if you were to host a banquet in, in this culture, Rome, first century, who would you invite? You would invite out with them. We want the cool people, because I want to be in that crowd. So you always invite people who are further up the food chain, you might say, the social uh, ladder than you. That's who you would invite. And it's very easy to see who, because of the way they dress. But it's also, how do you know where you fit into society? How do you know where you fit in culturally to the people around you? It's what invitations you get to their banquets, to their parties. Oh, I would expect, I would expect an invitation to their party, because they're the cool guys and I'm part of them, or at least I want to be, and actually they must have lost my invitation because I didn't get invited. I mean, we hate that feeling, don't we? Missing out. So a value is actually important. It's deep in our heart. We love being valued. Love being respected, honoured, listened to. We don't like being ignored or just even invisible when nobody sees us. But then in our culture, 
we don't have dress codes like that. But we do uh, look at other things. So we, we ask questions. Oh, yeah, so what suburb do you live in? That'll tell us a lot. What job have you got? What car do you drive? Who are your friendship group? To putting people in boxes. And what we're doing, or what our society has trained us to do, is going, I'm, I'm actually making a distinction here. Do I want you in my friendship group, or are you lower than me? Or, oh man, you're impressive. I want you in my friendship group. We're actually putting a value on people and seeing if we want to associate with them or not. We do it today in a different way, but we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We put value on people. One of the main reasons uh, researchers say for anxiety today is feeling alone, that no one values us, and that we feel rejected. This is a big one, that we don't feel valued. It's a worry, it's anxiety, it's a stress. And that might be how some of us are feeling today. In a room full of people, we can still feel like we're worth nothing, we're a nobody. What Jesus is saying, you're not just more valuable than a, uh, than a bird, but you are so valuable. And he says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little, fa you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now just for a moment, because I think most of the time we read these verses in uh, the economic sense, poverty. Don't worry about what you eat if you've got nothing. But what if we read this in the first century context of actually, I do worry about what I eat and what I wear and how I look because of status. It's not at the bottom end, it's at the top end. Because he says, this is what the, the pagans run after, those people who don't follow God. Now, what are they worried about? They are... Pagans are worried about the social status. They are worried about not being valued. They are anxious about it. They want to do this stuff to climb that ladder, to be somebody, to be noticed, to be valued. That's what they chase after. And your Heavenly Father knows you need them. Not just food. I mean, there is the food and clothing. Of course, He knows we need them. But He knows you need value as well. So I think that's why Jesus associates this, this food and clothing with value. God knows you need it. And He values you. He values. Where do you find your value? Do you believe God, that God says, I value you. You are precious to me. Not just more than a bird, but you are valuable to me. Do you believe God? Because it's easy just to look around us and go, well, actually, I'm believing what people are saying, what people are doing, the invitations I'm not getting, being not included. I'm starting to believe what I see and what I hear around me. I think this makes sense of when Jesus says, um, you of little faith. I think it's not just talking about food and clothing, but he's actually going, you are valuable. But if you start looking around you, it's easy to get doubts. But when God says, you are valuable, do you have faith? I'm not sure whether I believe God that I'm valuable. He says, well, you have little faith, because I'm telling you it's true. Have faith. You're valuable to God. You're precious to him. 
I love the way Jesus goes around uh, associating with people at the bottom of the social ladder. The lepers, and I'm not sure if we appreciate this, lepers who wanted healing because nobody had talked to them, nobody was going to go near them, definitely nobody was going to touch them. You know, their skin, it's a skin disease, leprosy, so they're all crusty and sores and it just looks terrible, looks gross and even the smell of dying skin and dying flesh would be foul. Who wants to go near them? Yet Jesus come along and held their hand. Jesus says, you're valuable. To the adulterous woman, Jesus goes in and stands up for her. Jesus says, you're valuable to me. Tax collectors who are known as cheats and thieves, Jesus says, you are precious, come and follow me, come and hang out with me. And to all these people, what does it say Jesus did with them? He broke bread. He broke bread. It's symbolic of he's eating with them, meals, but this whole bread thing of inclusion, bread is uh, you're apart, let's eat together, is kind of that social thing where I want to get to know you, I want to have you into my social group, I want to be friends, you are valuable to me. Jesus did that to the people on the lowest of low. You are valuable to God. Jesus also uh, goes on to talk more than value. He talks about failure, uh, that we gain nothing. Because we are in a society who loves success. We glorify success, right? If you're a success, you're on YouTube, you're on media, you're Mr. Popular, you're on the talk shows, podcasts. Like, success is glorified. What we hate is failure. We don't like being a reputation of being that nobody, uh, not known for anything. Yet Jesus, sorry, yet Jesus says this thing, and it's more than just food and clothing. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus has been talking in this whole Sermon on the Mount about these two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of the here and now, what we see, do, our social structures, what we grow up learning about. This is, this is the kingdom in the, in the present, you might say. But God's kingdom is different. God's kingdom is bigger and God's kingdom has different priorities. So when you talk about success and failure, the kingdom we live in now values success or sees success way differently than the kingdom of God. God's kingdom sees success as very different. We see that playing out in these two kingdoms. When Jesus goes on to talk about, uh, sorry about that, he says this strange thing in John, John chapter 6, when he talks about this bread. A uh, bit of background, we had... Um, we mentioned before, Moses in the desert, he led Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, where they were persecuted, into the desert to worship God. They were now God's people. But they were hungry, God gave them this bread, bread of life, it's sometimes referred to, it's daily bread that God is giving to them every day to keep them alive. But what did the people do? What did Israelites do? Oh, this is awesome. We are out in the desert, we're no longer in slavery, we no longer have that burden, we're free to worship God and God's feeding us as we go, He's given us water out of rocks, this is fantastic. They see God's kingdom, no, they didn't do that. They struggled with that, they go, oh man, bread again? We were so better off in Egypt, 
Sure, there was a slavery thing, but we had herbs, we had spices, we had stuff to put in our bread. Like, it was so much better back then. Because the difference is, they were looking through the old kingdom of the kingdom of the here and now. At least in Egypt, we had stuff. Out in the desert, we got no stuff. But in the kingdom of God, man, how good was it? They're with God, trusting God, living in dependence of God, seeing God supply their need. How good was that? But yet Jesus says, in this John passage, so this is years and years later, generations later, Jesus got a group of people and he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give in the life, uh, which I'll give for the life of the world. Now, if we're hearing that with the old kingdom eyes, a kingdom of the here and now. It's like we want to eat you, Jesus. We want to eat like cannibalism. That doesn't make sense. It's not right. We're not doing that. And thousands of people, lots, all the people who are following Jesus, all but the disciples, said, "This is crazy. You've lost it." And They left Jesus. They didn't want to trust him in that. His claim to be the bread of life, this living bread. But his disciples followed him. And they didn't really understand what he meant till uh, he got to the cross. The night before Jesus went to the cross, when he had what's called the Last Supper, and he held up a bit of bread and broke the bread and says, this is my body which will be given for you, which is given for you. He's talking about what he's doing on the cross. That through what he was doing on the cross... In dying, you might say, to sin, death, dying to the old kingdom, and he's opening the door to give them acceptance in the new kingdom, in God's kingdom. So whenever you eat the bread, think of Jesus, death on the cross, dying for me, saving me from the old kingdom, saving me from death, like the Israelites in the desert, saving me valued prominence, they wanted to sit by the, sit by the left and right of Jesus, they want the big stuff, but now they're, they're giving their stuff away, They're travelling around the world telling people about Jesus. They're getting flogged and beaten. They're getting rejected. But they're going, hey, we've got the kingdom of God. Their priorities have completely flipped upside down. There's something about understanding the kingdom of God which is completely different to the way we understand life in the old kingdom. Success, even, for the disciples, or success for anybody who understands what Jesus did, that turns to Jesus, sees Jesus as the, uh, the bread of life. Success is not clothes and respect. It's not possessions. It's not having lots of stuff or being big-noted. Success in the new kingdom is being a servant. There's no greater servant than Jesus. He says, do what I do. That's success. There's no greater success than being a humble servant. The kingdom we live in today doesn't hold up and admire servants, humble servants. It's the powerful people, people who make the most of this kingdom. But in God's kingdom, it's the other way around. Success is serving others. Success is serving God. What about the poverty question that we heard, uh, we talked about earlier? Poverty... In the old kingdom and the new kingdom, poverty is no longer not having stuff. 
But real poverty is not having the bread of life in Jesus. That sort of poverty will kill you. Without having the bread of life, without having Jesus, you will die. That's what the new kingdom says. You need Jesus. What about feeling valued? Valued is no longer about being wanted and loved by this world. God is our Father God. That Jesus calls us family, brothers and sisters. That's where we find our value. The world will never understand that. If you go out and live out Christian values, values that are important to God, the world will just go, oh, you, you know, I think nothing of you. They want glory and honour and stuff in a different way. But God's kingdom is different. And it's all found in Jesus, the bread of life, the daily bread. And this changes what we worry about. So if we go back and read over that passage again, we see how Jesus says, don't be worried about this stuff. Tomorrow I'll have its own worries. Because if you worry about kingdom stuff, God's kingdom stuff, that's where you'll find real peace. You'll be able to leave your worries and anxiety at home. When we worry about stuff, are we worried about the stuff of this kingdom? Or are we worried about stuff of God's kingdom? That's what Jesus is saying. You can leave that alone. I'm the bread of life. Ask God for your daily bread. You know, now that this prayer kind of makes sense a bit more. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Because your Father knows what you need. Sure, can be bread, can be clothing. But he also needs what we need for our value, for success, his kind of success. This, if you're looking for a kingdom of cars, that's the old kingdom. If it looks like candles, well, you either get disappointed or you go, actually, maybe I'm measuring things wrong. (laughs) Maybe God thinks much of the little things and that's where I need to be. I encourage you, if you've got stuff going on in your life that you are worried about, share it with somebody. We want to carry that load together. But we also want to encourage each other not to hold the values of this kingdom, but live for God's kingdom and his values. Let me pray for each of us. Dear Father God, just thank you for understanding us, that even if we've come here this morning with heavy hearts, with worries, with things we're anxious about, We haven't told anybody, but yet you know, you know we struggle with these things. Well, thank you for the assurance we have that this life is hard, it is burdensome. But Lord, help us to see, help us to get a glimpse of your kingdom and your values, to go, what we're doing, living for you, is certainly success, certainly valuable to you, and that's what matters. So Lord, when we pray, Give us our daily bread. Lord, we can know with satisfaction you're going to bless us and bless us abundantly with what matters most. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.